Talgo of Foudrin. Chapter 19. Five Arrows. Madorn led his men into the doorway and entered Jadir. The doorway was grand. It certainly was not a natural-made thing, but most likely a creation of Talgo's, using the Jura. The stairs inside confirmed this, each step the identical width to the next, winding up and up seemingly into the very heart of the volcano. Inside, it was as hot as though a thousand fires were burning. Madorn's brow dripped with sweat both from the climb and the exhausting heat. Three times he missed a step and slipped downwards, only to catch himself once again and push forwards, lifting his weary feet higher. The staircase was lit with many torches. Madorn thought that the master will have either used his powers for these two, or commanded one of the scurgs to climb down and light up the entire staircase each night. The men could hear nothing of the battle, which surely must have still been raging outside. Madorn wondered how long it would last, before Talgo would grow bored of it all, and set all of King Eldir's army alight or freeze them to death. How many more good men would be lost in that fight? We must press on with all the speed we can muster, Madon told his men. They continued their climb. When they finally reached the top, the stairs gave way to a large hallway guarded by two skurgs. The skurgs and the men saw each other at once, and the skurgs instantly charged forwards, wielding old battered axes. Madon was the first up the stairs, and disposed of the first attacker with ease. He thrust his sword forwards, and it found skurg flesh, and the air of the hall beyond. The skurg dropped its axe and tumbled down the stairs and out of sight. Card dealt with the second skurg just as easily, slashing a wound through its stomach first and then taking its head completely off. It rolled down in search of the first skurg's axe. Halir, the king panted. Perhaps it is best we now equip ourselves with the bows. Yes, my lord, Halir said. He had travelled with five bows around his body, one for each of the men, at Madorn's command. We must now be careful when we walk through these doors, Madon said. We could encounter Talgo, and he may wish to destroy us. The men strapped the bows to themselves, and Halir also distributed some arrows. Their stock was plentiful. They had spent much time gathering lost arrows from the battle, many of them still attached to the skurgs that they had killed, or in some cases, to the men. Let us continue, Madon said. They found another large doorway at the end of the hall, with another set of stairs leading upwards. More stairs, Nikhil groaned. But not as long as the last flight. I think I can see the top from here. The king led his men upwards, guided by the warm light from the flaring torches on the wall. The five men all had their swords drawn, ready for an attack from more skurgs. Madorn's legs found a feeling somewhere between pain and numbness as they led him further up the volcano. Where is the fire in this volcano? Halir asked. These stairs seem to be taking us further into the centre, we must be wary that the master has not set a trap for us. Madon felt a pang of fear. Fool! Perhaps Halir was right. The heat was becoming more intense after all. What if they should turn a corner and fall straight into the mouth of the volcano? Or what if their feet struck a certain rock which made the floor collapse beneath them, setting them downwards? We have certainly placed ourselves in a vulnerable position, Madon said. 
let us use caution. The master's attention must surely be taken up with King Eldir's army. They found that Nykeel was right. They reached the top of those stairs in a much shorter time than before. They found more Skurgs at the top and easily defeated them before finding more twisting and turning corridors, stairs and halls. The master has made himself quite a castle, Denagorn said. Fit for the king of Skurgs and the unsettled of mind. It is a fortress, Madorn said. A fortress of fire and ash and smoke. And Sagorn knows how many Skurgs, Card said. Yes, King Madorn nodded. If Talgo chooses, he would be the most fearsome of enemies that this world has ever seen. But only through the power of the Jura, Card said. No, Madorn said. We must remember this about Talgo of Ferdrin. He defeated the wizards of Galhalla before becoming master of Jura. The king's men sped onwards. Before long they could hear the cries of battle and they knew that they must be close. Madorn led his men out of a hallway and stood outside of the volcano. He was glad to feel a gentle wind upon his face and knew that Talgo must have fashioned it himself to keep him cool atop the hottest place in these lands. They found a ledge with a wall of stone at the end to keep the scourgs of Jadir from falling. Madorn crept over and peered out. They were very high up on the volcano, close to the top. Having moved through such twisting and turning corridors, the king had lost his bearings, but upon seeing the river Umharon to his right, he knew he was facing south. Talgo had formed more rain clouds further south, perhaps in hope that Madorn would be leading his men homewards. Madorn thought that on clear days, a man standing on top of Jadir may be able just to see the walls of Framir. Madorn looked in its direction now, longing for his home, his wife's warm embrace and his child's smile. There was much noise outside from the battle below. Madorn moved along the edge and looked downwards. King Eldir's archers were positioned ahead of the rest of the Majiran army, sending volleys of arrows up towards Jadir. Madorn could not see Talgo from where he stood, but he saw blasts of fire and ice rushing towards the archers. Many of them lay dead, and others cowered behind great iron shields. King Eldir sat on his horse well behind them, at the front of his unit of knights, barking orders that Madorn could not hear. Coward, Card said. How many will die for the king's greedy desire while he watches from afar? I fear the madness that has taken Talgo can come to a man even before he ever becomes a master, Madorn said. Come, we must reach Talgo before he destroys the rest of the Majiran army. The men continued back into the volcano and found one final staircase which led them into a cavern where a ledge ran in and over the exposed fire below. In here, many men and women sat with chains around their wrists, looking up at Talgo who stood at the very top of the volcano, where surely no man could climb. When they arrived, several of them looked around and their mouths dropped. It's King Madorn! The King of Framir is here! Help us, O King! The boy has gone mad! He has been feeding us to the Skurgs! If it were not for the noise of the fire below and the battle outside, Madorn thought that Talgo would have heard the prisoners. He placed a finger to his lips and told those nearest to him to be silent. Is there nobody guarding you? he asked. Where are the Skurgs? Master Talgo has sent them to the bottom of the volcano in preparation for an attack, an old man said. There aren't many of them left after the battle. Madorn had thought as much. It seemed that Skurg lives were of no value even to a boy mad with power and filled with a desire to command his own army. He gazed upwards once more and saw Talgo commanding the Jura down into the battle below. The king's heart leapt when he saw what was happening a few feet below the boy. On the inside of the volcano, 
A man was climbing the rocky face with what looked like a dagger tucked inside his trousers. Fool! Madon cried. Who is that man? One of the prisoners looked up with wide eyes. It is the boy's father, my lord. But where did he get that dagger? It matters not, another villager said. He will kill the boy and free us. Leave him be! To Madorn's surprise, every other villager whispered encouragement to the man. Not one of them seemed appalled that he meant to murder his own son. Men of Framir, Madorn said. Take aim! My lord? Hallier asked with concern in his voice. The man means to murder his own spawn, Madorn said. He will have to live with it for the rest of his life. I will not stand here and watch it. Confusion reigned among the king's men. Nikil broke the silence. My king Madorn, do you mean for us to take aim at the boy or his father? Madorn remained fixed upon Talgo and his father, now just a few feet away from him. He had not decided. The father was innocent, but Talgo was only a boy. If there was a way of extracting the Jura from the boy without killing him, perhaps his sanity would return. The people of Foudrin had rejected him, but what about the people of Framir? He could take Talgo back to live in the city, to have a real childhood, and to grow into a brave, courteous man. My lord, Card interrupted Madorn's thoughts, where shall we aim our arrows? Madorn made his decision with regret. There really was no choice in the end. It had to be this. He drew a breath in to speak. Stop! A woman's voice bellowed. She had ran into the hall from behind Madon and his men. She flew forwards and shouted once more. Talgo turned around with hatred in his eyes, but upon seeing the woman, the anger disappeared and was replaced by a soft look that was somewhere between love and sorrow. The look was enough to tell Madon that this was Talgo's mother. Talgo! The woman shouted. Do not harm him! Talgo's father had nearly reached the top now. His son looked down upon him while creating a massive shield of ice behind him, blocking King Eldir's arrows. You mean to murder me, old man? Without saying a word, Talgo's father pulled the dagger out of his trousers and stabbed it straight into Talgo's foot. He screamed out in pain. It was a scream not of a lord or of a king or a wizard, but simply the scream of a young boy. He limped away from his father, trailing blood atop the volcano as he went. His father climbed the last part and followed him. No! Talgo's mother screamed. Stop it now, both of you! Her husband paid no attention. He flew at Talgo with the speed of a bird in flight, thrusting his dagger forwards. Talgo used the Jura not to kill or injure, but to fashion a dagger of his own made of ice. He used it to block his father's blow, then stood looking up at him. Why doesn't the boy kill him? Denargon asked. It is his father, Madon replied. He may have treated him poorly, but I believe that somewhere inside his heart, he must love him. Talgo's father thrust the dagger forth once more, and again, Talgo managed to block the strike. Then, with a wave of his arms, he sent his father flying with wind. The winds knocked him backwards, and he tripped over an uneven part of the volcano and fell over the sides towards the fire below. There were several gasps from prisoners who were watching with unmoving, wide eyes. Suddenly, a ledge of rock formed underneath the falling father, and he landed with a soft thump on his back. Talgo's father stood up. You fool! I have done many a bad thing in my life, but fathering you has been the worst. 
He moved towards Talgo once more, who still stood on the top of Jadir, saying nothing but looking at his father. What were his intentions? Would he not fight his father? After all the people he had killed, all the dirty deeds he had been involved in, still the boy would not harm his own father. To Madorn's disgust, the villagers below shouted encouragement. Kill him! Kill the wretched boy! End his miserable life and free us! You are the only one who can! He will not harm you! With his father's next strike, Talgo moved out of the way, causing him to stumble forwards and allowing Talgo to jump onto his back, ice blade in hand. Now! Madorn cried. Take aim! Madorn's men did not ask who they were supposed to take aim at. The target was small now, and firing posed a risk to both combatants. They bent their bows and pointed them upwards. No! Talgo's mother pleaded. Please do not fire! There will be death whether we act or not, my lady, Madorn said without looking at her. Perhaps we can reduce the number. Talgo struggled on top of his father's back. His bone crown fell from his head and tumbled into the fire below, lost. He no longer looked like a master of Jura, but rather a small, scrawny boy from Foudrin, who ran away from home to find wizards. His father shook him hard, back and forth, moving closer to the edge. If something wasn't done now, both of them would surely fall into the mouth of the blazing volcano. My good men of Framir, King Maron said. Fire! Now! As the five men loosed their arrows, Talgo brought the ice dagger down and sank it into his father's neck. He left it there as his father's body fell away from him and tumbled down into the fiery pits below. If he had waited but another second to do this, the Framerian arrows might have found his father, but they did not. They narrowly missed the falling man's body and instead plunged deep into the torso of Talgo. Talgo looked as though he was gasping for air as he fell first to his knees and then, staring into his mother's sad eyes, slumped backwards and lay his back on Jadir, his dead eyes staring at the clouds above. You have been listening to Talgo of Foudrin, a fantasy novella set in the world of Moran by Chris Morris. Come back next week for the next chapter. Joy was the name given to her at birth, and it was long remarked that she might have been the very last thing in the universe to have been named so. The universe is darkening, Joy and happiness is being sucked out of everyone everywhere, and nobody seems to know how or why it's happening, except a young woman who goes by the very name of Joy. She's sure she's found the root cause of it all, and she wants to put an end to the universe's misery. Joy has too much at stake to allow grief to overcome the only person she has left. Stealing a spacecraft and crash-landing on a frozen planet Joy begins to use her mysterious sense to track down and experience the memories of a man named Lothar. Through Lothar's various memories of an ancient tradition called Christmas, Joy witnesses the destruction of happiness and watches as a dreadful war claims the lives of many. But how did all of this suffering spread from this planet across the rest of the universe? As sadness begins to overcome Joy herself, there may yet be one chance for both Joy and Lothar to put an end to this spread of distress but it will require a great sacrifice. One that's too terrible to consider for those that they love.
Inspired by the Charles Dickens classic A Christmas Carol, Joy's Lament is a tale of happiness, grief, love and loss. It will be released in Kindle and paperback formats on Wednesday the 1st of December. Pre-order the Kindle version for just 2 dollars now.